Well, I'd first like to welcome all of those joining us online today. As I shared, we're going to jump into a series today on Luke, Jesus Ignited. And if I could summarize the book of Luke in one sentence, here's what it would be. God sent Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. He lived a naturally supernatural life and changed the world forever. That's what we're going to look at. The series is Luke, Jesus Ignited because Luke is all about a spirit-empowered Messiah. Luke's twin volume set, which includes the book of Acts, is all about the spirit-empowered community. And so as we study Luke, we're going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit. Some have actually called the Gospel of Luke the Gospel of the Holy Spirit because it talks about the Holy Spirit so much. We see that Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him, empowering and enabling him for a life of ministry. And then we see in the sequel, the book of Acts, here's what happens. That the Holy Spirit descends on the early church, empowering and enabling them and us to live out the teachings of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who's working out all of history for the purpose of Jesus and the church. My hope and goal and prayer as we're together in worship and prayer and as we study this book of the Bible, the book of Luke, is that God would fill us individually and collectively with the Holy Spirit. It'll take us years to go through this book of the Bible. You've heard me right. So if you've been wondering where we're going in sermon series, the mystery's over. We're in Luke. And next June, as you're asking, wonder what sermon series we're in. What's the answer? We're in Luke. So that should be your answer for a little while now. You know, there should be no more mystery except the mystery of the gospel. I love the mystery of the gospel. The good news stories of God coming to earth as a man and the person of Jesus. He who is the person that we're going to study the next several years. A spirit-led Messiah. The man who claimed to be God. And, And Luke, he is Jesus, ignited by the Holy Spirit with the passion to reach the world. Now, if you're new... My name is Zach, my wife Shelly, and I have been at the church for almost a year now. Last December we came, so if you're new, we consider ourselves still a little bit new, haven't reached the year mark yet. Uh, We spent the last 10 years overseas in Sudan and East Jerusalem, and now God has called us here. We feel called to the local church, to the American church, in today's day, where God, I know, wants to do some great things through the American church. So we're committed to being here to lead the church, grounded in the Word, committed to prayer, led by the Spirit to make disciples to the ends of the earth. That's what the church is for. So we're glad to be here for that. So now we're going to take the next several years to examine the life of Jesus. What a joy, his teaching and his Spirit-led mission to change the world. Now before we get into the first few verses this morning, what I'd like to do is, is take a moment to introduce you to the book of Luke. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what? John, good, those are Gospels. Each is a biographical sketch of Jesus that emphasizes different aspects and facts of the person and work of Jesus. Matthew is largely written to those who are Jewish in background, Mark to those who are Roman, John to those who are Greek, and Luke to those who are Gentile, uh, because the Gentiles were not privy to a Jewish background. So when Luke presents Jewish customs as we go through the book of Luke, here's what you'll see. He often explains so his readers can understand. So we know that Luke is writing to a non-Jewish audience. These books all tell the same story of Jesus through different lenses. They don't contradict each other. We'll see that. Now, as a part of the series, here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. Read one chapter of Luke a day. 
Read one chapter of Luke a day with your other Bible reading. And since it's a 24-chapter book, it means you'll read Luke once a month. So you'll just keep reading it once a month for the next several years. And as you do that, if you do this, the words of Jesus, you're reading the words of Jesus every day, it'll absolutely transform your life. Because here's the story on Luke. Luke is the longest of all the Gospels. It's 1,151 verses. And 568 of those are simply the words of Jesus. So if you want to know what Jesus said, you read Luke's Gospel. Almost half of this New Testament book is quoting exactly what Jesus said. So this is why I want you to read a chapter a day, because then you're going to soak in Jesus for the next several years. Now I'd also like to encourage you, if you don't have a good study Bible to get a good study Bible. The ESV study Bible is a great one because I want to get you into the Word. As you go through Luke reading a chapter a day, make notes, highlight it, mark it up, engage with the Word. And so as you do this, you'll be amazed at what happens in your heart and in your life. What I'd encourage you to do is bring a Bible with you to church. Even if you have an electronic one, get a hard copy one because what I want you to do is engage with the Word. You can take down notes And by the time we finish this series, you'll have your own commentary on the book of Luke. How cool would that be? So bring your Bible with you. Um, You know, I had shared last week that almost 100 people have made a decision to follow Jesus in the last year here at Connection Point, which is amazing. And one of those people is Teresa Holman. I just want to highlight her for a minute this morning. morning. She made a decision in Easter to follow Jesus. She came forward and said, I want to follow Jesus. She was water baptized in July. She's in our members class on Sunday night, the Ignite class. And it's been incredible to see what God has been doing in the life of her family over the course of this last year. So if you weren't here for a water baptism, I'd like to share her testimony video so you can know a little bit more about who Teresa is. My name is Teresa Holman. I'm from here in West Lafayette or just moved to Lafayette actually, moved out from Lafayette, West Lafayette. And I've been attending CPC since Easter Sunday morning. I can honestly say my walk has not been an easy one. Um, It's been, uh, matter of fact, I denied him for so many years, so many. Um, I accepted him, I accepted him as Christ uh, when I was a teenager. But uh, because of circumstances out of my control. Um, I pretty much blamed God and didn't want anything to do with him. Um, I was uh, sexually assaulted by some relatives of mine when I was younger. And uh, I carried that bitterness and that hatred for years, the shame and the guilt. I never told anybody, not even my parents. Um, And as the years went on, it just festered more and more and more. And uh, that at the point where it got out of control was about a year ago. Um, I was living a really, really shameful life. I mean, I mean, you couldn't get more shameful. You want to talk about a Jezebel, you could pretty much say that's what I was. I, I was letting men do whatever they wanted, you know. And uh, a year ago, I tried to commit suicide. Ended up in a hospital. And they... Uh, they told me what was wrong and what had caused, what it, had all. caused it all. They helped me, they helped me fix, the fix the outside, but that didn't help me get rid of anything on the inside. It still festered. It still bothered me. And um, Easter Sunday, I came here. 
And uh, at the time when I stepped foot in here, I felt like a, uh, a broken down machine that needed to be fixed. I mean, in the factories where I work, when a machine breaks down and they need fixed, they lock it down. And only one person has that key to unlock it. And that's the only one for safety reasons. And when I stepped in here Sunday morning um, and heard Pastor Zach, everything changed for me. I realized there was freedom. I could finally get rid of all this. And I found the key to fix me. And uh, he was so patient. It's taken so long and I can't believe he's been so patient so many years and waiting on me. And uh, with the help of my mentor, Gina, and her meeting with her regularly and all the scriptures and prayer, I just feel like everything's being released. I know it's real. So that's where I'm at. And I know, and I, I'm ready. I, I'm ready to say I know that he loves me and I love him so much. I feel so different. I'm ready to proclaim him 100% and say he died for me. He's taken my shame, all of my guilt, my sins, everything to the cross with him. I don't have to worry about any of it anymore. It's, I'm feeling free. And I know, and I know that he's in me because I feel, I feel this living machine finally being fixed. I feel like he's given everything to me. It's time that I gave something back. I mean, I know I accepted him as a teenager, and I didn't really fully accept it. And I feel like if I'm going to go part of the way right now, I need to do it all. I need to start over from scratch and wipe out everything that's happened to me all these years. Isn't God good? It's been incredible to see uh, not just Teresa, but the lives of many who have said, I'm going to follow Jesus all my heart, soul, and mind, and what God has been doing in their lives. Teresa, do you mind to tell us a little bit what's been going on the last year? Well, I can honestly say that uh, there's been some miraculous spiritual things happening, not just with me, but from my family. Uh, a year ago today, I was sitting in a nursing home in Chicago from trying to commit suicide. I didn't care no more. I mean, it, it, I had rock bottom. I just did not care. And uh, I signed myself out in February, stepped foot in here in March. And Easter Sunday just absolutely changed everything for me. And the best thing that happened was being paired with Gina. Amen. That woman was a lifesaver to me. She, I could call her any time, day or night. I was ready to give up. I could be sitting on the floor crying, rocking. I just couldn't do this. I said it was easier to go back to the old ways. Gina fought through it with me. She didn't let me give up. She'd send me texts of scripture, of songs, meet with me at the last minute. And because of her, I'm standing here today. Amen. Um, when I say miraculous, for you to realize where it came from, the abuse started with me, but it rolled over in my kids. They went through as much abuse as what I did. 
They wanted nothing to do with church. They wanted nothing to do with God. They didn't want even to be talked about. They said, why should we with everything you've been through and we've been through? And uh, marriages were breaking up. Alcohol and drugs had taken over their lives. Grandkids were starting to be phased by it. And within the last couple of months, Easter Sunday, I stepped in here with just me, one daughter, and my son-in-law. Today, will my family please stand? I have to have you stand. I now have five of my children, their spouses, and my grandchildren here. Four of them have accepted Christ into their life within the last couple of months. So, I guess the best thing I can say is God heals the broken, but he also restores. Amen. Thank you, Teresa. And so I just wanted to, in, in seeing what God is doing in Teresa's life, want to continue to see her move forward. So I had gone by the Lafayette Christian Bookstore and found on their clearance table an ESV study Bible. So you get the first one, and I want to encourage you all. Let's get into the Word together. Let's get into the book of Luke together. Let's get into the words of Jesus together. Um, so I'm going to have Shelly help carry this down. Thank you, Teresa. Can we thank her as she goes? Jim, could I give you this microphone? And that's really the story of the gospel. The gospel is lived out in lives that are changed. We read the words of what God does, but we see it in the lives of people, and we see the word lived out. That Teresa is preaching. If she never says a word, her life preaches. Do you understand that? And that's what God wants for all of us. God changes lives. May we, may we never forget that. As we dive into God's word together, I pray that he transforms your life. And so we're going to begin our series in, in Luke in this New Testament book. And as we get into the first four verses today, here's what we're going to find today. Following Jesus should motivate us to tell others about his great story. We see that that has been lived out in Teresa's life. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, and next week you'd better get a Bible. We're going to read the first four verses, and so I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Simply out of reverence, we're grateful that God sent his word. Of course, he sent the word incarnate in Jesus, and then he gave us his word in written form so we could follow it. So maybe we follow it well. I'm going to invite our scripture reader to come down into the light so people can see you as you read this morning. So verses 1 through 4, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for time, some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. Before we dive into the first few verses today, what I'd like to do is introduce you to Luke, the author. As we read the introduction, you'll notice he doesn't tell us his name. So the question is, how do we know that Luke wrote this book? Because guess what? It wasn't originally called Luke. Somebody eventually put that title on there. So there's a couple of reasons we know. First of all, we know the author of Luke also wrote Acts. They're linked. There are two volumes set. I already shared that. 
And so Luke talking about the Spirit-empowered Messiah in Acts, we see that he's talking about the Spirit-empowered community. They're both written by the same man, written to the same man, Theophilus. That's how we know these two are linked. It helps us. And what we find is Luke is clearly the author of Acts. So then that helps us to backtrack to say, well, then he was the author of Luke as well. But all of the early church fathers, uh, we see in the second and third centuries, Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, they all agreed and said that Luke wrote the books of Luke and Acts that we know them as today. The book was likely written around 62 AD and Acts around 63, about 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Many of the eyewitnesses to the events of Jesus were still alive, but the historical opportunity for interviewing them and getting eyewitness testimony, it was closing. So now Luke is taking his historically strategic opportunity to do his investigation and write his books of the Bible. Luke and Acts taken together, they provide the largest contribution to the New Testament. These two volumes comprise approximately one quarter of the New Testament, making Luke Acts together the largest New Testament book. The Apostle Paul may have written more books in terms of number, but Luke writes the longest book, as defined by the number of words and verses. So now what about Luke himself? He's probably not a Jew. He didn't grow up going to the temple and keeping the Sabbath. He wasn't in the habit of going to the synagogue, reading the Old Testament, or waiting for the Messiah. His name is Gentile, which means he's non-Jewish by background and heritage. Like some in this room, he didn't grow up going to church, meeting with God's people, reading God's word. We see that corollary. He's mentioned several times in the New Testament. Paul says on one occasion, everyone else has abandoned him. And not that you could blame people. You read about Paul. He was always getting himself in trouble. Who wants to hang around with that guy? But, you know, apostolic types, they often get themselves in trouble. He's starting riots. People have tried to murder him. He's off to prison. But Paul says when everyone else went home, Luke's still there. Persecution happens, but Luke stays. He's faithful. His faith is unshakable. Luke shows up at prison saying, Paul, how you doing? Luke was humble, a servant, faithful. Luke sees Paul's making a difference for the kingdom, and here's what he decides. I'm going to help him. I'm not going to fight with him. I'm not going to argue with him. I'm not going to try to supersede Paul. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to help him. I'm going to be his traveling companion, his friend, his researcher, his helper, his personal physician. Luke was a doctor. You know, in an American idol age where everyone wants to be famous, there are few with this kind of humility today. Be a Luke in this way and you'll be a part of changing the world. You know, our youngest, Lucas, so we have three kids, our youngest, Lucas, bears the name, as I said, Lucas. Mostly because his name means bringer of light. We love that. May all of our kids bring the light of Jesus to the world. But he's also named after this Luke. Luke, who is a very intelligent, humble, faithful, passionate servant of Jesus. Aren't those good qualities for all of us to live out? We read in Colossians 4.14 that Luke was a medical doctor. It's interesting that many Christians wonder about the role of science and medicine in Christian faith. Luke's a great example for us. He's a doctor but writes two books of the New Testament that talk much about divine healing. Think about Jesus healing people. It's all throughout Luke. Think about the early disciples healing people. It's in Luke and Acts. But Luke, the doctor, he's making this point. Jesus is the great physician. And sometimes 
He does the supernatural and heals people miraculously, and sometimes he works through other physicians. Luke's a great blending for us. Luke was a man who studied medicine and science and was formally educated. And I'm going to communicate what seem like two opposite truths right now. Because a couple of months ago, I talked about making disciples, if you remember that sermon. I shared that Jesus made disciples simply by doing life with them. Jesus had no formal school, no seminary, no outline course of study to run his disciples through. He simply said, I'm going to live life with you and show you how you should live in the kingdom. And I still think this is the best way to make disciples. You saw it this morning with Gina. Thank you, Gina, for being a disciple maker. You've changed an entire family, been a part of changing an entire family. And what's been cool is there's been others involved in that family as well. We're called to make disciples. But now let me go back to Luke for a minute. As you look at Luke, as we read Luke, as you look at the original Greek he wrote in, you can tell Luke was a very well-educated person. He was highly educated in a day when maybe 10% of men were educated. You know, some of you could have wondered, should I study hard and finish college? And I would say, yes, you should. I've heard some people say, I don't think I'll finish school. I'll just go and serve Jesus. And I would say, finish school and serve him well. Have the education that you need to prepare you for that. That's what Luke did. He walked away from an affluent job, a private practice in medicine to travel with Paul to investigate the life of Jesus and write books of the Bible. He used his intellect for the cause of Jesus. And that's what I would encourage you to do as well. Don't just think about how much money you can make. What you need to do is how much education can I get to further the cause of Christ? If you want to be a doctor, great. Praise God. And then figure out a way to use it to serve others in your profession. If God's given you a great mind, a great intellect, use it. Use it for the glory of God among the nations. Luke's a great example of this. And now with all of that as our background, I'd like to dive into the first four verses of Luke. But I'd first like to ask, how many have ever heard a message on the first four verses of Luke? Nobody? I fear there may be a couple people. Oh no, there's a couple. All right. All right. And probably not, because this isn't typically verses you choose to just preach off of unless you preach through entire books of the Bible. It's called expository preaching, and I love it, because every verse in the Bible is there on purpose, and we can glean much out of it when you look into what is God saying to us through these verses. So that's what I want to do as we work through Luke. I won't skip a verse, and you'll be surprised at what you find in each and every one. So what I want to do is jump into the first two verses, and here's what you find when you look at these verses. Following Jesus should motivate you to tell others about his great story because his original followers did. Here's what's important to understand regarding the introduction to Luke. In antiquity, the first sentence is performed much the same purpose as the modern book jacket, table of contexts, or the title page. In the Greco-Roman world, a book was rolled up in a scroll which did not allow someone informal browsing of the content. Think about it. It wasn't like you could flip through a scroll. You'd have to unroll it out to Main Street if you wanted to, you know, browse through it. So the introduction was very important. So Luke, what he was doing is accomplishing was to reference firsthand knowledge of the subject matter, thorough research and personal experience. He was trying to create buy-in. Why would I want to read this scroll? Luke uses a Greek-style introduction. He identifies his work as a narrative, and in these first four verses, we encounter the narrator. And Acts, the second volume work of Luke, here's what happens. The narrator presents himself not outside the story, but within. So in Luke, as he's writing, he's getting all the eyewitness accounts, he's doing all the research, and we'll talk about the time period he does this in. 
because he's outside of that. But now in Acts, he's a part of the story. He's traveling with Paul, and he's establishing the early church. But now in Luke, the narrator's outside the story. Luke's opening sentence is designed to impress, to lay claim to the rigorous standards that's designed for research and antiquity. Luke writes as one of the people of the way, as a Christian. Here's what he writes, first two verses. He says, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us." So he's giving background of why he has authority to write in this way, who it is that he's been able to interview. From the beginning of Christianity, the natural outgrowth of becoming a follower of Jesus was to tell others about him. If you claim to have encountered Christ, then you should feel compelled to tell others about his great story. If you have no desire to tell others about Jesus, I would question how much you've really encountered Jesus. And as much as many have undertaken to compile, many people, they knew the story personally, they wanted to tell others about it. And then at the end, there were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, they delivered it to them. Knowing Jesus is telling others about him. And not knowing Jesus is not telling others about him. This is why over the course of the past eight months, Teresa's family has become exposed to the great story of Jesus. For Teresa, knowing Jesus is telling others about him. We should all live this way. Jesus did instruct his followers to go into all the world and make disciples. We were given this instruction, this command, but let's pretend Jesus never said this. If you have experienced Jesus and he has changed your life, why would you not tell others about that? If Jesus never gave us that command, if we have met Jesus, we would want to share him with others. We should want to share him with others. And if Jesus hasn't changed your life, if he's not the rock upon which you stand, he's not the center of your life, the person in whom you place your hope, your faith, and your trust, I'd love to introduce you to him today. King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who came as a baby, lived a perfect life, died so that I could have a relationship with God and you as well, and he was resurrected from the dead. Jesus, the one who promises life abundantly, the one who can both wreck your life and save your life. You could ask, Pastor, what do you mean wreck your life? Read about Paul. Jesus says, kicks him off his horse. Anybody here been kicked off your horse? I have been. I've got some other hands. That's what Jesus does, but he does it because he wants to raise you back up mightily to be used by him in his kingdom. This is the Jesus I know. How about you? Knowing Jesus is telling others about him. His early followers did it. Luke wrote about it. And now we're sitting here examining the words he wrote because he investigated the life of Jesus for Theophilus and for us. If you're not motivated to tell others about Jesus, I challenge you, press in and pursue Christ. Run to him and he will run to you. Abide in him and he will abide in you. And that way you can take his presence into the world. And as you do that, people will be able to see Jesus in you and start asking you questions. How do I get what you have? Because you have something I don't understand. Knowing Jesus is telling others about him. And the second point we find in the next verse, verse 3. Following Jesus should motivate you to tell others about his great story because others still need to hear. Here's what verse 3 says. It says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. 
So Luke says he followed all things closely. Some versions translated as carefully. Luke investigated the story of Jesus. He researched him. He's a skeptic, and he wants proof of every story. So he goes after the eyewitnesses and wants to know that what they saw is true. He thoroughly examines everything. So Luke is claiming accuracy in his gospel account. We can trust this gospel as we work through it. Luke did his homework. Luke was a solid ancient historian. He may not have used footnotes or had a smartphone to record Jesus' speeches, but he lived in a community that passed on tradition with care and they were very careful as they did it. We can read Luke with full confidence that God is introducing to us Jesus through this work. Luke also mentions that his is an orderly account. In essence, orderly means in sequence or one after the other, but it doesn't necessarily imply a chronological sequence as we would understand it today. Although Luke's gospel is known to be largely sequential, we can see that, he, he took some liberty to put things together how he felt like it would best influence the reader. That's what they did in antiquity. Historical writers in the first century, they had liberty to order their narratives based on the effect it would have on the reader. It was more of a persuasive order. And Luke's motive is to persuade the one to whom the letter is written, Theophilus. So now who's Theophilus? First of all, I think it's amazing and wonderful that the longest book of the New Testament is written to one person. Does God love the world? Yes. Does God love the nations? Yes. But does God love us as individuals? Absolutely. That he would go to such great lengths to actually have one book of the Bible given to one person is an indication that God is very loving. He knows us all. He doesn't simply deal with us as a flock, but also individually as his image bearers. What a personal savior we serve. Now, some commentators think that Theophilus was a symbolic name because Theophilus means dear to God or lover of God. The book of Luke is for anyone who loves God. It's also for anyone who should have a desire to love God. Luke is for us all. And although it could be a symbolic name, it's likely a real person because Theophilus is a common name. And the title most excellent would be pointless if it's not a real person. The title most excellent was normally reserved for Roman political officials. And at the end of the book of Acts, the title most excellent, it's used several times to refer to a Roman governor or political leader. So whatever the reason for the title, we do know Theophilus was a person of advanced status. He appears to be wealthy, educated, and part of the Roman government. Theophilus was probably a new believer, someone from a Gentile background. So here's a wealthy, prominent, affluent, significant man who becomes a Christian, and here's what he's wondering. Is this really true? Is Jesus really God? Did he do what I've heard he's done? Walk on water cast out demons, multiply fishes and loaves, command nature to obey him, die and rise again. Did he really say he was God? Can, we, can he really forgive sin? Is this all true or not, Luke? He may have come to Christ as a God-fearer, which is a Gentile who first came to Judaism and then out of Judaism chose to follow Christ. Theophilus seems to be wondering if he belongs in the Christian faith, and so Luke is trying to show him he does fit in, and that God has brought him in by design along with others who share his same path. You know, maybe you're new to the church, and you're trying to figure out some of the phrases we use or, or some of the traditions we have. Why do we take communion? Why do we baptize people in water? And, and at first, it seems like an awkward fit. 
But if you go back 2,000 years to become a Christian out of the Roman Empire, it was an awkward fit there as well. Someone following the teachings of Jesus and not going along with the customs of the Roman Empire, they stood out. But I assure you, Jesus is worth it. You belong here. You belong in a relationship with God and with others in his community on earth, the church. Every time we gather on a Sunday morning to sing praises to God, we get a glimpse of eternity. People in community gather together to worship God. What a joy. What a blessing that we can have that here on earth. You may not completely fit into this world, but that's because this world is not your home. Heaven is our home. And by making a decision to follow Jesus, you've been promised eternity. Our job in this life, the reason God has us here, is to tell others about his great story. So if you seem a bit uncomfortable in this life, welcome to the club. We're not home yet. Theophilus had a lot to lose in publicly declaring himself to be a Christian. Because in that day, Caesar was Lord. But as a Christian, Theophilus would now have to declare, not anymore. Jesus is Lord. He could no longer say, my allegiance is to my nation. He would now, upon coming into the kingdom, have to say, my highest allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Statements like these could get him in a lot of trouble. It could cost him his income, his job, his prominence. He was a person, maybe like you, wrestling with his faith. Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Do I belong with Jesus? Is Jesus really worth it? There's a lot at stake, and so he contacts Luke, a fellow Gentile, an educated and articulate man who has access to the apostles, disciples, and eyewitnesses. He hires Luke and asks him, I need you to go find the truth. Go get the facts. Go find out exactly what happened around this man, Jesus, and now give me a full report. And this was an expensive request. A classical ancient way for someone to acknowledge their benefactor would be to dedicate their play, poetry, or book to their donor. Part of Luke's introduction is to acknowledge the person responsible for paying for the books. Theophilus paid for two books of the Bible to get written. How many can make that claim? That's incredible. He would have funded Luke to take years off of work to write him. And now think about this. 2,000 years later, had it not been for Theophilus' generosity, we would be lacking the largest contribution to the entire New Testament. Theophilus was a man who gave generously for Luke to do his ministry. Theophilus is a great example of someone who gave and it resulting in hearts of thanksgiving. We talked about this in our last series. He sowed generously in the work of Luke and the story of Jesus and has reaped in literally billions of people who have read these books and been forever changed. Now, if that's not a good sowing, I don't know what is. Luke gave of his intellect, time, and energy. Theophilus gave of his resources, and together to this very day, we're still served by these great men. So are you being generous with your time, with your intellect, and with your resources as a way to serve others? We saw in our last message series, A Heart of Thanksgiving, that generosity leads to others knowing Jesus, which also means a lack of generosity can keep others from knowing him. It would be very selfish for us to say, well, Luke, thank you for all of your work, and Theophilus, thank you for your financial investment. I'm happy to receive this truth, but I'm now unwilling to generously give it back. I've shared before that 67% of homes in our area, they do not have a living, vibrant relationship with God. Six out of ten, seven out of ten homes that don't darken the doors of a church on a Sunday. We must be generous with the gospel we've been given, generous with our resources, generous with our talents, because others still need to hear 
about Jesus. And the last point I'd like to make is from verse 4, and it's this. Following Jesus should motivate you to tell others about his great story because people need an unshakable faith. The final clause of Luke's prologue, it defines Luke's purpose. Here it is, verse 4. He says this, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This is the purpose of Luke. Theophilus is familiar with the story of Jesus, but he is searching for additional truth. As a new believer living in a world that held hostile attitudes toward Christians, we can easily understand why Theophilus and others needed to know the certainty of the things that they had been taught. The word certainty was a favorite term in antiquity to denote a true philosophy as opposed to a superstition. So Luke is writing to persuade Theophilus to fully embrace the truths of Christ. It'd be a good reason for us to study Luke as well. Many of you may have grown up with some knowledge of the Bible, some knowledge of Jesus, but you haven't fully embraced this truth. You have yet to acquire an unshakable faith in the one who stands as the cornerstone of the church. We're living in a society that is growing increasingly hostile toward the Christian faith, and so we need to have certainty in the things that we believe, don't we? Following Jesus is not a superstition. It's faith in God. God who created the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars. He created you. He created me. We need to have an unmovable faith in an unmovable God. You know, you may have grown up singing, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. Now the question is, when you sang that, did you embed that within your soul? Or is it simply words that you sang? We need that unmovable faith. And then you can, if you don't let that truth sink in, then you can't live for Jesus for a lifetime. We need this truth to sink in so that we can. We need an unshakable faith that says, no matter what comes, no matter what I face, no matter who jeers, mocks, or persecutes me for my faith in Christ, I know in whom I believe. We can sing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Sing it. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. What's before me? The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Can you truly sing that this morning? That's the kind of faith that we need to live for Jesus for a lifetime. We, we tell others about Jesus because his original followers did. We tell others about him because people still need to hear. And we tell others about Jesus because we all need an unshakable faith. If you have yet to acquire an unshakable faith, I encourage you to start to read a chapter of Luke a day. Allowing the words of Jesus to be absorbed into your soul, it will give you a firm foundation upon which to stand. And from this foundation, you can tell others about him and change the world around you. Following Jesus should motivate you to tell others about his great story. In your programs this morning, Pastor Kevin already mentioned it, but you were given these invitations for a Christmas program that's happening next week. Those invitations are not for you. You don't need to turn these in next week. These are for friends and family and neighbors and coworkers who don't yet know who Jesus is. 
Invite them to come and be a part of the Christmas production. And don't be late or you're going to miss an incredible introduction into the service. So if you're in the habit of being late, break the habit next week and every week thereafter. Just saying. Shelly and I gave out 10 of these this last week. It's easy to give these out. Find ways to give them out. We gave them out at Park West Fitness where we work out with the people there. Um, Gave them out to different people we interacted with. I encourage you, give these out. Hey, and if you've got kids singing next week, you've got some real pull. All you've got to say, friends and family, you don't come to hear my kids sing, you're on the naughty list. (laughs) Nothing for you for Christmas this year. Encourage them to come. Be a part of what God is going to do next week in our services at 9 and 11 a.m. Last night we were in Walmart, Shelly and I, and we were checking out. And uh, as we were checking out, Shelly had one of these in her purse, so she gave it to the checkout clerk, who up to that point had simply been scanning our food and not even looked up to us. And Shelly said, hey, would you come next week and be a part of our Christmas program at the church? And she looked up, and by the time we finished that conversation, she said, thanks for inviting me. And you could see a twinkle in her eye. And, you know, sometimes I think we we look at this and feel like, how can I invite somebody? And we don't realize you've simply said to that person, you are important, you matter, I'd love for you to be there next week. So as you give these out, it's a very simple thing to do. And I'm trusting that Tatiana from Walmart, who lives at Copper Beach, she's going to be here next Sunday. (laughs) And if she's not, I'm going to give her a hard time. But seriously, give those out. Who's going to be here next week because you invited them? What friends and family, their lives will be changed for eternity because you said, come and join me next week at our Christmas program. Who's going to make a decision to follow Christ because you invited them? That's what you need to consider. Following Jesus is telling others about him. I'm going to invite you to stand today as we're going to close in song, as you can see with our music team here. As you're standing, I know that there's some here today. We've talked about Luke the skeptic. Theophilus who needed unshakable faith. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've come into this place and you came in not following Jesus, but you're going to be with us, I pray, for the book of Luke. So you can see as we examine his words, they hold to be true and he can absolutely change your life. So I'm going to invite everybody to bow their head, close their eyes here just for a moment. And if that's you here this morning, you say, you know what, I've been a skeptic. I have not been following Jesus. I have not trusted that he's the son of God. But you would say this morning, you know what? I want to follow in the footsteps of Luke and Theophilus and so many others that have said, Jesus, I turn my life over to you. I will decide to follow you and no turning back today. If that's you and you'd like to make that decision, I'm simply going to invite you to raise your hand so I can pray with you before we go today. You'd say, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus today. Simply raise your hand and say, that's me. And we're going to pray before we go. Anybody here this morning that would say, yes, I want to follow Jesus today couldn't sing it as we sang, but you'd like to sing it before you leave from this place, that you've decided to follow Jesus. Anybody we can pray with this morning? Anybody up in the balcony? Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are in this place. God, we thank you that you gave us your word. We thank you for the generosity of Theophilus, for the hard work of Luke, for his intellect, for his willingness to work hard, to to give us these words that we can examine and know better who you are and who you've called us to be in your kingdom. So God, I pray as we continue through this series that you would empower us, that you would impassion us to live out your words. And God, as we sing and declare in song who you are, I pray that you would give us an unshakable faith as we examine Luke and who you've called us to be in your name. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.